Proby and the team um, for leading us in worship. It's been great. Hi everyone, my name's Joanna, or Joe for short. Um, it's great to be here with you and share with you tonight. I'm a Rivers girl from a long time back. I like to tell people when Paul and Josh were in youth group uh, was when I was at Rivers. Um, I was a youth leader here, so uh, don't do the maths, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, that I've, I've been around. I've, I've been away for a long time and some of that will come out in my, um, my sermon tonight, but um, it's been great. I've been back here at Rivers for about a year now and it's been awesome to be back with you. Uh, so Tim asked me if I would um, speak tonight on kingdom. A very, very broad topic, but uh, what I'm going to have a go at tonight is unpacking um, for you this thing that for the last 10 years I've been slowly understanding more and more through both God's revelation and my personal experience. And as I do that, I'm going to share some of my personal story and journey with you. We've got the clicker working. Yep, it's on. Okay. All right, so um, I know this is not particularly clear, mainly because it's a photo of some statements that are on my wall in my bedroom and they've been on my wall since about 2009 um, when I first realised that God was calling me to take a year off work and to spend that volunteering in Uganda at Watoto Church. And they basically represent the motivation and the calling that God had on my life at that time. And you can glance through them if you can read them but I just wanted to put them up there to highlight a few words and phrases. There's the idea there of compassion. There's the idea that I've been stirred up by the fact that there is something unfair in me having so much and others having so little. And there's the idea that God is somehow calling me into something. And to be honest, I didn't know what at the time, but I knew he was calling me to have his perspective on things and to take this life and these resources that I have to do something that had an eternal and a kingdom perspective. So prior to this, I'd seen the Watoto Children's Choir perform and I'd actually um, been prompted by God at that time to do more than just give money or uh, sponsor a child. So before 2009, I'd been to Uganda twice, two short visits, building houses at the children's villages and volunteering at the baby's home. And honestly, I still had no real idea why this conservatively raised, pretty risk-adverse girl from a non-Christian home was suddenly heading halfway around the world multiple times but he prompted me to go and I went. And one of the key verses that inspired me as I did that was James 1.27. I think you're going to have to click through for me. Thank you. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So during this time in my life, I was living in Gladstone, just a bit further north from here. I had a really good job, I loved Jesus, and I was connected and serving at church. And my job had a lot of responsibility and really long hours, um, but I was earning a lot of money. So I was really seeking how I could best serve God in that, and I was deliberately cultivating generosity and service in my life. But underlying all that, I think I still just had this question. I was really looking for God to show me what the meaning and the purpose was in all this. What bigger thing was I part of? Or was loving Jesus and living a good or a moral life and serving at church all there really was to this Christian life here on earth? As a side note, please don't misunderstand me tonight. There is so much value in and God asks us to do those things that I just described. 
But at this point in my life, God was stirring me to something more and, and giving me a bigger picture. So when I found that verse, James 1.27, I was like, yep, I can do that. I can use my time and my money to serve and to care for the orphan and the widow, which you can basically describe as the vulnerable and the marginalised in our world. And this is what will give meaning and purpose to this crazy, busy, pressured job I have, and it's, it's a way I'll use the money that I'm earning. But the thing is that as I experienced living in Uganda and the massive need that I saw there, and as I started to really see and understand the extent of poverty and injustice, of conflict across the world, and not just in developing countries, in Australia too, I couldn't shake this feeling that something in my faith journey to date, or maybe something in my understanding of God and his, what he was asking of me, and in my understanding of what his broader mission or purpose for the church is, something was missing. You see, I realised that it's not just the need. It's not just that people are poor or they don't have access to good education or good health care or that they experience corrupt and violent political regimes. It's not that just that this is sad and we need to have compassion. It's that it's wrong. And it's not what God's intention for the world is. So I'd been prompted to go and serve in Uganda because of this compassion and because of God's command to care for the, for the poor and the vulnerable. Um, but now I had this deep abiding sense that not only do we need to respond to the needs that people have, we need to do something about why the, these needs exist in the first place. Because it's not just a case of circumstances and it's not just a case of not enough resources in the world. It's actually because there is massive injustice in the world. Things are not right. And the story that we, as God's people, have to tell about God's relationship with humans and with creation can not only be about people coming to know Jesus personally and being reconciled to God. Because when we look at the injustice in the world, that isn't enough. And it's not the full extent of God's plan for humanity and for creation. So this, this vision of the kingdom then, you see, at this point, James 1.27 was kind of how I understood the gospel or the good news that Jesus said he came to bring and also how I understood God's kingdom. It was mainly about what we are saved from. My focus was on the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection was about being personally saved from an eternity apart from God and that while we're here on earth, we should become more like Jesus and that this includes having compassion for the poor and vulnerable and that one day when Jesus returns, he will make everything right again. Now that is all completely true, don't get me wrong. But there's actually more. We are also saved to something. The kingdom of God that we see in the Bible and that Jesus talked about has something to say about the things that are wrong in this world. So I want to explain a bit about this using two passages tonight. Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12, I think, or 10, and Micah 6, verse 8. So Isaiah and Micah were both prophets. And the job of prophets was often to call the people or the nation of Israel during the Old Testament times back to God. They pointed out where Israel had wandered away and started worshipping idols and where they'd stopped living by God's commandments. But it wasn't just that they weren't living how God said they should. It wasn't just that they weren't keeping the rules 
It was about the negative consequences of the way they were living, which is that they weren't living in right relationship with God, they weren't living in right relationship with each other, and they were acting unjustly towards the poor and the vulnerable in their communities, and they weren't stewarding creation well. So let's go through and unpack this a bit in Isaiah 58. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just going to swing around a bit because it's clearer. All right. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. This is Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So here, God's talking to Israel and um, Israel's basically been saying to God, but we do all this stuff, we do all this fasting uh, and we ask you to come near us and we ask you to act and to make decisions, um, but you don't hear us, God. So they think they're doing what God wants of them. So the next section goes on. And God says to them, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So you can really hear God saying here, guys, you've totally missed the point. Yep, you're fast. Actually, can we just go back a slide, please? Just leave, yep, leave that one up. Thank you. Yep, they're fasting. And in that sense, they're, they're obeying his commands. But while they do these things, there's all this negative stuff happening. They're exploiting their workers. They're actually fighting with each other. It sounds like physically fighting with each other. Um, so all their fasting and their day of sitting in sackcloth and ashes, it's just empty religion because it doesn't bring personal transformation and it doesn't result in a just and a fair society where people are cared for. Therefore, how can they expect God to respond? Because he doesn't just ask them to fast for the sake of fasting. So we go on through this passage then. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So here God unpacks for them what his idea of the outcome of fasting or any other spiritual discipline or religious practice is. It should result in being in good relationship with each other and making sure that there is justice and compassion for the vulnerable and the marginalised particularly. It means acting and living in a society that allows all people to experience what is known as shalom, which can be explained as flourishing or fullness of life. In other words, this is God's vision for his kingdom. Next slide. God goes on to unpack for them the results of this if they do what he has said in those previous verses. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call 
and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Next slide. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So this is this transformation that true fasting brings. It brings God's presence. It brings his light. It brings his healing. It brings his glory. And more than that, God is with them. It said God will hear them. They will call out and he will actually hear them, which if you remember in the, the first part of the passage, he wasn't hearing them. And the last part of this passage then, he says, and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. It's quite poetic language that Isaiah is using here. But what he's giving us is this further vision of what results in society in our lives in the world when we do those things that he described that true fasting needs will be satisfied things will be rebuilt and they'll be restored we see transformed lives communities and nations and as I delved into this stuff guys I was like wow God does talk about this stuff he talks about hunger and poverty and injustice and he's saying that truly following him and seeing his kingdom comes means something is actually done about that. His vision for his kingdom is not just you and I being in relationship with him, but a kingdom where people are in right relationship with each other and with creation, and where all people, especially the poor and vulnerable, can flourish. So the next slide. Oh, back one. Yep. So the other verse that I love, um, I almost wore my T-shirt with this written on it actually tonight, but I didn't. Um, Micah 6 verse 8, God says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love this verse. It's just so simple. We are to see justice done, which includes seeing social and political structures in our world that result in people being poor and marginalized, done away with. And we are to respond with mercy or with kindness and compassion to each other. And I think most importantly, we are to do all of that out of a humble, close relationship with God. Not out of our own strength or whatever we think, but out of our relationship with God. So I've just got a couple of quotes from a couple of authors that I really like on this topic. So next slide. A lady called Melba Magay, um, who's president of MICA Global, who I used to work for until a few months ago, says, We are pilgrims looking forward to an altogether new world. Yet we are also inheritors of this earth, recreating and conforming it to the image of the Son of Jesus. We affirm all that is true and lovely and just around us, but we also hold accountable those who have power over us, resisting the beast, Satan, and critiquing the myths and the stories constructed for us by the media or the prince of the power of the air of our time, such is the height, the length, and the breadth of the mission to which God calls us. Next one. Chris Wright, talking about the mission of God, says, The gospel is the essential good news of what God has done to save the world. 
and evangelism is the telling of that good news. And we must also insist that the gospel is not merely a personal insurance plan or a ticket to heaven, but is rather the declaration of the whole Bible story of salvation, the cosmic story of God's redemptive purpose for the whole creation, promised in the Old Testament and accomplished by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guys, this stuff is inspiring to me. This is good news. Yep, I love Jesus and I want to become more like him. But this stuff, this kingdom vision, this is why I get out of bed in the morning. This really excites me, this broad, deep vision of what God, through Jesus' death and resurrection, came to do here. So next slide. I've been using this term kingdom quite a bit now. Um, but it's not really a word we throw around much in general conversation or, or even in church a lot these days. Yet Jesus actually used it heaps. He often started a teaching or a parable with the statement, the kingdom of God is like. And it's become for me a really important word. A word, a concept that is absolutely laden with meaning and with purpose. It captures me and it inspires me and it guides and anchors how I live out my faith and my relationship with Jesus. Because you see this phrase, the kingdom of God, speaks to me of hope, of potential, of possibility, of that longing that I have for all the things that are wrong in this world to be made right and just and good. It speaks of a greater purpose, a vision of true reconciliation between us and God, between us and each other, and between us and creation, which includes society as well as the environment. And more than that, through Jesus' death and resurrection, the kingdom speaks of this final step that God ushered in of restoration, this idea of rebuilding and restoring and repairing that we saw in Isaiah 58. See, the kingdom of God is a place where things are restored to the way they were always meant to be, restored to the way things were at the beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve walked naked and unashamed in the Garden of Eden in perfect relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. He is setting things right, guys, and he invites us to be a part of that. But what I've also come to realize is that this vision of and longing for the kingdom isn't only a future hope. And one of the first places I realized this was when I looked more closely at a phrase that's in the first line of the Lord's Prayer, which I've got up there on the screen. If you flick to the next slide for me. The first line of the Lord's Prayer says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this, is, this prayer is not only praying for Jesus to return and for, for the fulfillment and establishment of God's kingdom here on earth when he does, but Jesus, because Jesus has already won the victory over sin and death, that kingdom, the restoration of all things to how God created them to be, it starts now here on earth. So this kingdom vision that I'm speaking of and that Jesus spent a lot of time talking about, as well as proclaiming the good news that Jesus died for our sins and inviting people into a relationship with him, we are also to demonstrate this good news by actively partnering with God to see his kingdom come on earth. And that for me is just so exciting. It's truly the full story of the gospel and the good news that Jesus came to bring. So now I've talked a bit about my personal journey and how I've unpacked this over the years. I want to have a quick look at what Jesus also said about the kingdom and also what our role is in all this. 
So the first thing I want to do is just look at a passage. This, um, I'm going to read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, but it's this passage that Jesus actually reads out from the scroll when he is in the temple at the beginning of his ministry, which is in Luke 4, 18 to 19. So I'm just going to read this passage from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Remember, this is Jesus reading this out in the temple. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Next slide. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Again, very poetical language coming from prophet as he's speaking to the people. And what's exciting for me about this is that this is what Jesus said at the beginning of his public ministry. This is what he said he was here to do. And you can hear the echoes of, of just a few chapters earlier in Isaiah 58 in some of the stuff that he says in here. Can you go back a slide for me? Thank you. Jesus says he came to bring the kingdom and that this looks like setting things right, like reconciliation with God and restoration to how things were meant to be. And when we listen to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through to 7, or we read Jesus' parables throughout the Gospels, and when we see how Jesus treated and interacted with people, we see this idea of a kingdom that involves a radical reordering of how we live with and relate to one another, and of what society should look like, particularly in relation to how it treats the poor and vulnerable. So I'd encourage you guys, as you're reading through the Gospels, look for the kingdom stuff. Look for this stuff, this restoration and reconciliation. And then we read John 10.10, 10, if we could flick to the next one, which says, and this is also Jesus speaking about why he came. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's this idea of flourishing that we saw in Isaiah. And also this idea that we are saved to something here and now. That fullness of life can be found here and now through knowing Jesus and through seeing God's kingdom come. And just a quote on this that I love from a guy called N.T. Wright um, from a book which is, has a very cool title called The Day the Revolution Began. Uh, if you like a bit of theology, I recommend this one. It's a bit of a tough slog in places, but it's good. In the story the Bible is telling, humans were created for a purpose and Israel, the nation of Israel, was called for a purpose. And the purpose was not simply to keep the rules, to be with God or to go to heaven. Humans were made to be image bearers, to reflect the praises of creation back to the creator, to God, and to reflect the, creator, the creator's wise and loving stewardship into the world. This is, guys, this vision of the kingdom is just so massive and it's so much deeper and broader than just our personal relationship with God, but it is anchored in our personal relationship with God because if we don't know Jesus and we don't have the Holy Spirit, none of this stuff makes any sense. The vision is the whole of creation reconciled to God and restored to how it was meant to be. So as I finish up, 
I want to ask you, what is your vision of God's kingdom? Maybe you've never really thought about this before tonight. When you imagine God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, what does that look like? What wrongs are righted? And what deep needs, longings and desires in the lives of people and communities and nations are met? And what is the part God calls you to play in that? What is your part in bringing this vision of the kingdom to reality? I just want to give you one quick example. Um, I've had the opportunity to serve overseas in Uganda, as I spoke about, but I've also been in Zimbabwe for the three years before um, I came back here. Um, can you just flick back a slide for me? Sorry. Thanks. So I spent three years in Zimbabwe, um, and I volunteered there with a charity that basically ran a lot of training courses. They ran marriage training using the Alpha Marriage Course, they ran health and hygiene training in schools and in communities, and they ran a lot of women's health training. And while those things might sound like just giving people a whole bunch of information or teaching them stuff, the transformation that happened in people's lives as they came to understand God's plan for marriage, or as they understood actually how their bodies worked. We worked with women who had had many babies and, and actually didn't have a clue biologically how their bodies worked. And as they learnt how to stay well, how to, to do basic health and hygiene stuff and look after their families, the transformation was truly amazing. And the message of how God values and loves each of us and desires us to have healthy and whole relationships and bodies was weaved into all this training. Zimbabwe is a very Christian nation and we were really blessed that, in fact, if you didn't pray to open the training, you, you lost people at the start. So it was very, very cool and it took a little while to get used to, to be honest. Um, yeah, and what we saw there in that, in that transformation and that, that, those light bulb moments were relationships reconciled and bodies made healthy and things restored to the way they're meant to be. It's glimpses of the kingdom, guys. So this year for Lent, if you want to pop the next slide up for me. Um, so Lent is that time in the lead up to Easter. Tear Australia asked a few of their supporters to write a prayer and a reflection about what the phrase on earth as it is in heaven actually means to them. So I'm going to read out to you what I wrote, a reflection and then a prayer that I wrote for that. Um, and I think if you think back to the, the things I was talking about um, that are on my wall on, on the, the slide at the beginning, I think you'll see some of the depth that I've come to know about the kingdom in this. So my reflection was, as I prepare now for God's tomorrow, the key thing I do is choose. I choose to be aware and to remain engaged when it would be easier to turn away and check out. I choose to really see, hear and love my neighbour when it would be easier to ignore them or build a wall. I wrote this about a week after Trump was elected. I choose to let my heart break when I see poverty, injustice and conflict, knowing that it spurs me to act. And I choose to live today with my focus on the unseen, eternal things of God's kingdom when it is tempting to focus on the immediate and the material. Next slide. And my prayer out of that was, Lord, you delight in bringing kindness, justice and righteousness to earth. And we choose today to join you in that. 
That's from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Give us the courage to remain open, aware and engaged with a broken world, even when it overwhelms us and requires personal sacrifice. Give us the wisdom and the will to make eternal, kingdom-focused choices today, knowing that the fullness of life you came to bring us lies not in this transient earthly life, but in seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll come now to a time of communion where each week we we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And we remember that he not only died so that we might have personal relationship with him and have the freedom and the fullness of life he offers, but that he invites us here and now into the bigger story, the story of the whole Bible, which is that story of bringing the kingdom here on earth and the reconciliation and restoration of people communities and nations to himself. I'm just going to pray. Father, give us a vision for the kingdom that is deeper and wider than anything that we have imagined until now. Show us how we can be part of this amazing plan of yours to reconcile and restore the whole of humanity and creation to yourself through Jesus' death and resurrection. So guys, we're just going to have a time of communion. Feel free to come forward in your own time. Um, We We take the biscuit and we just dip it in the juice for those who aren't here with us regularly. And we've also got the offering bags up here on the table. You're also welcome to give um, electronically. Just um, find one of us if you need those details. And I'm also going to be up here up the front. If anyone would like prayer during the last couple of songs that Toby and the team lead us in, please come find me or come chat to me afterwards.